gonna run downtown. We're gonna pass a lot of great landmarks, National Civil Rights Museum, the Riverfront FedEx Forum. We're gonna have live music. Gary Goen is gonna perform. Gary's amazing. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. He's been on the show before, yeah. Great time, okay, yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah, he's gonna provide us with some live music. Um, we're just gonna come together as a community and just bring awareness. We're, we're gonna all link arms, join together, and uh, bring awareness to this issue of human trafficking. RestoreCorps exists to impact human trafficking by empowering survivors, equipping communities, and seeking justice through systemic change. Hi, and welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler. Pleasure, friend, to have you stop by and join us today on the program as we welcome two of my friends from RestoreCorp, Rachel Haga, Executive Director, and Rashida Gardner, who's the Community Engagement Manager. And Rashida has also been on the show. Ladies, welcome back to Mid-South Viewpoint here on Bot Radio. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thanks for having us. What have y'all been up to lately? What's been going on? I haven't talked to you in a couple of years. That is true. I think that uh, over... Um, over the last couple of years, our team has grown, as you even mentioned. Um, I've been with you a couple of different times, but I think the first handful of times that our whole team was maybe one or two of us, and now our team is more than 20. Um, well, at the website, I was looking at all of the different <laughs> staff. I mean, there's like 15 staff members just yes. on the website, you know. <laughs> this is true. And you said you've got 20-something. Yes, it's closer to 20. Um, And it's just because even we have a survivor who shares her story quite a bit or has asked to record her story. Um, for uh, for her own keeping, but for our keeping as well. And kind of one of the last lines that she says in that video is, now I'm, I'm so much more than a victim, I'm a survivor, but it took a whole team of people getting me here. And I think that that's kind of really the, the vision for our team at this point is that the way that we've been able to grow as a team, so many different people come with their different skill sets, their different education, their different experiences. Uh, even for that matter, Rashida comes from a long life working in Department Tennessee Department of Children's Services before serving the same population but in a different capacity here in RestoreCorps. And that's the case with all of our team members and being able to really add all of those skill sets and those past experiences and specialize all those humans to this particular population has been really incredible. Well, we're talking about combined decades of serving a combination of survivors of human trafficking, children in child welfare, like as you mentioned, Mm -hmm. foster care probation and parole and veteran services. Is this a new add-on? Because we've never talked about veterans, I don't think. So we don't serve necessarily veterans directly as like the key, the key point of our services. We, anyone that we're serving is a trafficking victim. If they happen to have some kind of background in, in a um, in a past life, then we'll still serve them regardless, because right now the, the reason why we are serving them is their victimization. Veteran services is actually speaks to the different experiences and background of our staff. So our staff have been working in probation and parole before Department of Children's Services, whether it's investigations or delinquent or uh, foster care, et cetera. And then we also have employees that come from serving vulnerable populations in our community, in the veteran community. But being able to bring all of that experience experience as a as an employee to this population has been pretty unbelievable for the kind Absolutely. of work that our survivor services team could do. I think a lot of the different skill sets that the staff have um, even myself with child welfare serving the same population and not realizing it 
it's kind of what brought me to Restore Core. You know, you um, you you know better when you do better. And, and I came on as an intern in direct service and uh, just learning and, and, and educating and becoming aware of the issue. Um, it, it just helped so much to take the information that you knew from a past life in the child welfare system and then apply it in this environment. Well, talk about this environment, uh, Rashida, mm-hmm. and, and how you're seeing that connection. What similarities and how does it blend in with RestoreCore? It is systemic. It is vulnerabilities. Human trafficking is about vulnerabilities and those factors that lead to that despicable crime. And so in the foster care system, um, it's the same thing. You might have a young adult who has specific vulnerabilities that lead them into obviously the foster care system or or the juvenile justice system. And so it's the same, you know, um, even in a, in a sense of us serving young people, a lot of them might be in the foster care system or in the juvenile justice system. And so it's, it's things that align um, just, you know, that lead to this issue. I mean, well, even specific to child welfare, prior to 2011, our state of Tennessee didn't see young people who were being exploited specifically for sex under 18 as a victim. Our wait, state wait, wait, law can, can, can you stop there a second? That just like blew my mind when you said that. Mm-hmm. State law did not recognize mm-hmm. these children, they're mm-hmm. under 18, mm-hmm. victims. Yeah, they were, I mean, they were actually criminalized in the child welfare system or the the juvenile court system as what's called delinquent prostitute. But even though if a person will say a man shows up to pay for a sex act with a juvenile with someone who is under 18 years old, prior to 2011, that person could be 40, 50, et cetera. The juvenile could be 15, but the juvenile would actually be charged with essentially called juvenile prostitution, delinquent prostitution. And the person that is patronizing is just going to be charged with patronizing as opposed to if that money, if there's something of value had not been exchanged in that scenario, then the person paying for sex would have clearly been seen as a perpetrator for sexual assault and the juvenile is a victim. And so thankfully in 2011, our state law changed, but honestly, even though I, I understand that you're appalled and your your face continues to show it, we were actually one of the first either four or eight states in the nation to change that law. We were actually really ahead of the game nationally yes. to recognize that victimization. Well, as, every, as discouraging as that is. That is very <laughs> discouraging. But, th- that, but that is encouraging at the same time that we're making yeah. some strides here in the state of Tennessee because every survivor is different. Different victimization and vulnerabilities and different dreams. Is that right, Rashida? That's absolutely right. You know, um, we believe in creating individualized care plans for each individual we come into contact with because no person, just like none of us are the same, no human trafficking survivor is the same. And so we are able to work with them, walk alongside uh, them in their journey to restoration and uh, develop goals that they want to attain. And I mean, some of those things towards short-term crisis where you provide mm-hmm. food, clothing, safe shelter. I mean, these are just some nuts and bolts things that are mm-hmm. desperately needed. Shifting to partnering with a survivor to holistically pursue some long-term goals. I mean, that has to give them, I can't imagine because your mind and your whole life has been consumed with a mindset or entrapment, enslavement. And then you're having an opportunity to, to break free and learning what that looks like and what that looks like for you as an individual. Absolutely. And and I will say the path is not linear. And so um, I think that that's the case with any of us whenever we are trying to identify changes that we need to make in our own lives. But especially someone who, as you just said, what it 
what ended them, like what got them to us? And so was the crime against them acute or short term? Has it been long term? Was there were there preceding crimes that increased the vulnerabilities that that Rashida even mentioned? So meaning where it was someone sexually assaulted from four to 10 by a mom's boyfriend and then what we would call seasoned into converted into that exploitive behavior of someone compelling this juvenile to say, hey, I've set some dates up for you. And so you have to participate in this or I'm going to fill in the blank. Some some kind of compelled nature that this juvenile feels like they have no choice but to participate in this activity. And so I think um, when we can make those individualized care plans, uh, utilizing, of course, evidence-based practices of trauma-informed care and strengths-based kind of conversation, we try to create that dynamic that kind of the world is your oyster, but it's not linear and it's not that easy. And so there's a lot of times that a survivor might, might get really excited about one new plan, but kind of spiral back because it's scary to be on your own. It's scary to actually have success if all you've known is someone controlling you for yes. a while. Yeah. And so it might, might take two steps forward, one step back for two or three years coming out of this lifestyle. One of the survivors that I've known over the years, she she would say that even when she went to McDonald's the first time when she kind of was removed from exploitation, she didn't know what to order because she didn't know what she liked because her controller had been ordering from her for her, even in fact fast food restaurants for years that she wasn't even sure what she wanted for McDonald's. And it's something that's so small. And then we come along saying, what do you want to do with your life? And so that's really encouraging, but it's, we also recognize that it might be exceptionally overwhelming. So creating those roadmaps and and helping them to realize that they can take their own individual roadmap to change Mm -hmm. has its challenges. And I was just thinking when you mentioned that going into McDonald's, just recently, as I went into a Waffle House, I was leaving and I saw a man with two young girls walk in, and I know that they weren't supposed to be together. Mm-hmm. You know, what do you do, Rachel? Because we see this in our community. This is right here in our city. Mm-hmm. We see it when we go to Walmart or we go to, like you say, McDonald's, or we go to these restaurants, and we see things that just don't look right. Yeah, I would say if you if you don't think it looks right, then call the police. Like that's the best thing that you can do. Mm-hmm. And whether it's the emergent number of nine one one or whether it's the non emergent number of five four five four or five cops here in Memphis, or if you wanted to make that call to the TBI hotline, uh, the trafficking hotline. Um, granted, if it's something that you're seeing right now in this moment where you can say this person's in Waffle House, I think that someone should look at it. That's that's an emergent thing. And so it and it's scary because I think that there's plenty of times that any of us in the community might think, but what if I get it wrong? Yeah. Um, and that is that's scary to think about. But every victim that we've ever spoken to would probably argue what if you get it right? I think as a society, we've been trained to look the other way, mm. you know, especially in situations where there are um, women maybe dressed in a way that we wouldn't typically think is society wouldn't think is appropriate. And so we have been trained to look away. So we have to retrain our brains and retrain ourselves to know that if you see something to just say something, you know, it can't say hurt. That, say that again. If, you, if see, you see something, just say something. See something, say something. Let's remember that. OK, Blossom House is the residential component of the survival care. I remember a time when you were hoping to have a place like Blossom House. <laughs> yes. Know? The majority of the survivors that we serve in the community don't stay in Blossom House. So Blossom House is that 
um, survivor commits to living there and working a certain kind of program with her case manager, setting those goals, et cetera. But then most survivors actually, once we offer the opportunity to have exceptionally robust case management and support, therapeutic support, advocacy support from our team, regardless of living in Blossom House, most survivors that we've interacted with choose that what we call community-based model. And so that means they're living all throughout Memphis and coming into the what we call our survivor care center for those weekly check-ins with the case manager. They might be coming to our weekly classes of intensive outpatient, which is a group class with survivors being able to have community with one another, coming in and talking to our therapist, et cetera. And so the majority of the clients that we serve, we, we actually served over 170 from July 1 of 2021 to June 30th, 2022. So over that one calendar year from July to June, we, we interface or interact with over 170 different victims. And the majority of those victims who engage in services are in in Whitehaven, in Memphis, in Midtown, in Raleigh, et cetera. And so I think that, yes, Blossom House we've had for a little while, and it's something that we'll continue to have in some capacity because some survivors need that residential component. But the majority of survivors that we have gotten to know in our community prefer that community-based model if we can provide it. It's harder. It is yes. It is really, really hard. I um, can't imagine. Yeah. <laughs> um, it has a lot of barriers to consistency just because of they're all throughout the community. Um, there's things that are out of their control as well as out of our control if they're not living in our house. And so <laughs> whether it's tra- transportation, whether it's um, something happened in the neighborhood that kind of created additional trauma for the day that makes it hard for them to engage um, in services, but we we really believe in the in being able to provide both of those models and continuing to scale up our community based care because we've seen the survivors really yes. need it and want it. Well, let's remind our friends right now we're visiting here with Restore Corp. The two fine ladies, Rachel Haigai, who is executive director, and Rashida Garner, she's the community engagement manager, talking about the wonderful work that Restore Corps is doing here to impact human trafficking by empowering survivors, equipping communities, and seeking justice through systemic change. It's an ongoing work. These ladies are like diehard, committed, and it's 24-7. It's on their heart and mind and their prayers, I know. But there's an event we need to tell you about, too. It's called the Free 901 5K 10K. It's their first annual race coming up on November 12th. Kicking off at 9.01 a.m. And we got to get some information. Where is the race going to take off from and what's going to happen? Yes, our race, it's going to start and finish at Wiseacre Brewery downtown. So really fun place. We're going to run downtown. We're going to pass a lot of great landmarks, National Civil Rights Museum, the Riverfront FedEx Forum. We're going to have live music. Gary Goen is going to perform. Gary's amazing. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. He's been on the show before. Yeah. Great time. Okay, yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah he's yeah. going to provide us with some live music music. Um, we're just going to come together as a community and just bring awareness. We're, we're going to all link arms, join together, and uh, bring awareness to this issue of human trafficking. You know, if you don't know about it, come out and join us. Um, let's celebrate becoming aware of the issue of human trafficking as a community. So you can either run the 5 or the 10K? You can walk, you can run, you can watch if you'd like. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I, like, I like the watch part. A, uh-huh, there's a place for everyone. Um, we just really want the community to come out um, and join us in this initiative. 
initiative. Okay, so yeah. how do you register for the race? You can get to the race registration page either on a race roster, start to finish, or from our website. I think that uh, all of those places will get you to the right place to register. And I think one thing that we're really excited about, specifically with a, a race like this, a 5K, 10K, the registration is 40 or 50 bucks. You can also do a virtual run. So if you happen to be listening today, we have people that have supported. She's from Michigan, so we are, we're hoping and expecting for some Michigan registrants, and so they can sign up as a virtual runner. Or even she mentioned kind of a spirit runner. If you just want to come out for the party and the cheering on, then you can uh, join the party that way. But I think one thing that makes us excited is you're so kind to continue to pump us up in our in our strength to be in this work. But I think a lot of people in our community either don't know or think that they can't be a part of the fight against human trafficking. It seems very daunting, seems yeah. very overwhelming. But a 5K, 10K is... Anyone who wants to come out and cheer cheer along, race, run, walk, et cetera, push a stroller if you need to, can participate in the recovery of victims, can participate in the restoring of victims, can participate even, as you mentioned in our in our mission statement, to change our system, to continue to work towards those legislative change, those state laws that need to change along the way. And then the equipping of our communities, training our community that molds those two things together, like the survivor empowerment and the system change kind of only work if you tell the community about it. And so when when people come out to that free 901 on November 12th, they get a chance to just know that they get to participate in that kind of new story around yes. victim, this victimization in our community. Commercial sex exploitation of minors, you host quarterly meetings with all stakeholders that deal with minors in the area. Let's just paint a picture here, ladies, if we can, because I think you and I know there's a lot of people who are just ignorant about this issue. Just how bad is the commercial sex exploitation of minors in the Memphis community right now? I think the best way to answer that question is that this is a community safety issue. And so anytime our young people are presented with being approached or they have the vulnerabilities of walking to school alone and having access, someone having access to them, then they are at risk. And so it being a community safety issue, it impacts the Memphis community as a whole, young people, adults. It's here. And I, I don't think that I have numbers to, to say that it is um, a specific number, but each and every individual, including ourselves, could be impacted by human trafficking. Is this something that's out of control? I think it is. I think that it has already been out of control for a long time. I will say to the point of our Department of Children's Services and other entities like that that would be kind of called in for this kind of victimization, they are consistently being proactive to try to make a change. And so in Memphis, all too often what we see is our referrals are going to come through juvenile court rather than a person being identified on the front end as a victim. But we've done a lot of juvenile court as one of the stakeholders that participate in that work group. And so juvenile court now better understands many of the social workers and the child advocates that work at our Shelby County Juvenile Court can identify what is called nationally as a victim offender intersect. So a juvenile might come through the door with a gun charge or a drug charge or some other kind of petty theft charge. And thankfully, a social worker or even sometimes the the judge at the, the magistrate on the bench will kind of dig a little bit further. But wait a second, is this situation that this young girl who I see her gun charge, but it was two o'clock in the morning. She was in the backseat of a car with two older men. Did anybody look at any of the, the other contributing factors to why this young girl is saying that this gun is hers? Yes. 
when there's these older men in a car with her at 2 a.m. It's unfortunate that that's the way that we get those referrals, meaning that they have to kind of come with a delinquent, what's called a delinquent charge to be able to get victim victim services, that the victimization isn't seen on the front end. But thankfully, that's happening more and more. The the other thing, too, here in Memphis, speaking of the vulnerabilities, is Memphis or Shelby County almost always keeps a constant caseload of more than 800 kiddos interfacing with our child welfare system at any given point. And I, and I would say 800 is a pretty decent average, not, not being the expert wearing that, that title mm-hmm. of DCS kind of ever. And so if you have 800 kiddos in our community on any given day that has to have some kind of case manager for sexual assault, violence, some kind of violence being done against them, are they run away? Are, are they running away because they're running away from a victimization in their house, et cetera, but they're just seen as a, a runner, so to speak? There's there's kiddos in our community that are even referred to as runaway, throwaway kids because the the family home life has what's the word untenable for for everyone involved, and so there's no one looking for them. And I'm not saying speaking ill of the parents. Oftentimes, the parents might have also had their generational struggles and trauma that they've dealt with. And so, what we have in our community all too often are is extreme vulnerabilities mm-hmm. of incredible trauma that whether it's the actual personal um, trauma to that person of sexual assault or environmental trauma that all of us, even as a Memphis community, experienced over the last few weeks and months, that there's this being here in Memphis, every single one of us has endured some kind of environmental trauma. People, I was scheduling something with someone the other day and she said, she just kind of said, I'm, I'm not really sure I have to pick up my kid from college campus at U of M because since Eliza and the shooting, I'm picking up my, my college kid every day. And yeah. so there's this extreme change that's happened in the scope of all of our hearts and our kiddos are still are consistently caught in the nexus. How can the church community become more aware and engaged in this issue of human trafficking and help support you guys? As far as churches, just inviting us out to talk to give them information, to educate them, just volunteer work, reaching out to us to wrap arms. We typically link together with our community partners or or churches to just bring joy. We've had church partners to help us to host baby showers. We've had uh, churches to help us host youth initiatives and help our adult survivors to just embrace Memphis and and see Memphis in a different way than where it may historically have held pain for them. Um, But churches just come together and whether it be through uh, donations or time spent resources, um, creating crisis response hygiene bags for us, um, there are several ways to get involved and it might not be in direct service or direct care to a a client in one-on-one, but all of those things matter so much Um, more than people could ever imagine. But it's just about awareness and education, you know. And I would say even, too, even some of the examples that she mentioned, making hygiene bags, there was 50 to 100 young age kiddos. So one group of kiddos that we spoke to this summer, (laughs) it was a summer camp for 10 to 13-year-olds that a church said, we understand that actually the average age of entry for human trafficking for in in our nation, so a, a juvenile trafficking victim, the average age of entry for a boy is 11 to 13 years old. Wow. 
And for a girl, it's 12 to 14. So, so boys, on average, are, are approached sooner, which is not something I think most people in the community would expect. And even if this was not my expertise, I wouldn't expect that. Mm-hmm. For a male survivor in general, or just men, there is a level of shame that comes along with any kind of sexual assault or crime where you appear to be vulnerable. And so the reality of it is, is that we don't we don't often hear that or um, realize that. And another thing, our holiday season is always really big. We try to provide um, gifts to the survivors as well as their children, their little kiddos every year. And that is usually a huge Memphis community thing. People kind of partner with us to um, just bring some joy, you know. Now, are, be- are things like this posted on the website? Absolutely. Our website as well as our social media. Well, also, we didn't have time to talk about Lives Worth Saving mm-hmm. Renew, which is a partnership with Tennessee Department of Corrections. Uh, you can't be strangers. We have to keep you coming back. And I, I want to keep this topic to. in, front of, in front of our friends, yeah. you know, let them know how they can engage. Volunteers. Do you guys use volunteers? Absolutely. <laughs> and we need tons of volunteers for our free 901 5K, 10K. So if um, your listeners are interested in that, we, we always welcome it. Well, you know, it's a lot of work to be done. And, and yeah, we're a crew of, what, 20 now-ish, but... There's lots of help that we need, lots of support that we need in order to provide just good care and love on the survivors that we serve. Well, friends, it's time to lace up those running shoes for the free <laughs> 901 5K 10K race to benefit the great work of Restore Corp. Again, on November 12th, 901. Go to the website and register, or the other site you can register at was? Start to finish or race roster. Okay, and people mm-hmm. who run know that kind of thing. <laughs> I think you know? they do, hopefully. I'm sorry, I should know that, but I don't, my knees don't like running anymore. We you understand. Said, you can walk, though, no worries. You, said. you can walk it. Yeah. You or can you cheer can just, on. Yeah, you can just come and hang out with us. That is fantastic. I will say, too, Byron, I, I know that we're coming to a close, but I, I, I had not intended to mention this, but in the next year and year to year and a half, we are going to be really relocating our survivor care center um, and so we are kind of on a hunt right now for either some a commercial property it might be an office structure it might be a, a floor in a standing office building it might be some lands we're we're kind of um, really hands open trying to discern with the Lord and with our survivors and with one another, what what is this next season of our care center supposed to look like? Right now, we have we have taken over almost the entire uh, floor of the <laughs> office building that we are in, and we need more space. Need and more so, space. That's a good thing. Um, and so I just I felt compelled to share that because I, I I'm kind of wondering if there's one of your listeners that has has some ideas um, up their sleeve and might want to be in touch with us. Contact you directly on our website. You yes. can do the info at Restore Core. Uh, that just contact us and the team will get it to the right person. Again, the number to call Restore Corp is 901-410-3590 or you can email info at restorecorp.org and go to the website restorecorp.org and get all the details, all the information we're talking about even more so. Pray for this ministry, support financially where you can, volunteer. God bless you. Thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you. Well, friends, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.